who is God? Very often when I ask a Catholic, a Catholic that question, the person has difficulty giving a response. There is a blank look and a pause, often a long pause, as the person ponders what to say. Also, very often, the answer that I receive is fragmentary, woefully inadequate. Indeed, the response I commonly get is one of complete surprise. And yet, my friends, the question, who is God, is central to our faith and to our understanding who we are. So we should readily have an answer to this question. The very purpose of Jesus' public ministry was to reveal fully who God is. And the Lord revealed the one true God as a trinity of persons. The mystery of the most holy trinity, the Catechism says, is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. Let us listen then to what God wishes to tell us. The Apostles' encounter with the risen Lord on the mountain in Galilee is the culmination of St. Matthew's Gospel. The Evangelist mentions only this one meaning in his account. They are together again after the horrible experience of the Passion. The Apostles see with their own eyes that Jesus is alive. And they are amazed and delighted. For the first time, they recognize Jesus as God. St. Matthew simply says, they worshipped. And Jesus affirms their action. He speaks with divine authority. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Time and again, Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah, the Son of God. Now the apostles know that it is true. It is all true. God is Father and God is Son. If there's a Son, there must be a Father. And Jesus also taught that there is another person, distinct from the Father and the Son, whom he called the Advocate. The divine person, that divine person, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was revealed most dramatically at Pentecost, which we celebrated last Sunday. Therefore, God is a holy trinity of three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The reality of one God is not changed. Indeed, there is no change in God. In time, God progressively revealed himself in order that we may know him better. Because there is only one God, there is only one divine nature. Therefore, the three persons are all equal in power and majesty, and they are always present to one another. The distinction with regard to each person is based on the relations they have with each other. So let us, my friends, consider these relations more fully. God the Father looks, so to speak, into his divine mind, sees himself as he really is, and forms a thought about himself. We can do this too. We can do this too. Each one of us can think of ourselves and what we are. 
However, being human, those thoughts are necessarily and sometimes terribly incomplete. God's thought of himself necessarily must be complete and perfect. And as a divine thought, it must have a distinct existence because to exist is of the very nature of God. Remember, God answered Moses as to his name by saying, I am who am. This living thought which God has of himself is the living word who is God the Son. God the Father is God knowing himself. God the Son is the expression of God's knowledge of himself. Thus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity is called the Son precisely because from all eternity he is generated. He is begotten in the divine mind of the Father. The Son also is called the Word of God because he is the mental word in which the divine mind speaks the thought of himself. As God the Father and God the Son contemplate the divine nature which they have in common, they behold in that nature all that is beautiful and good, all that commands love in an infinite degree. And so the divine will moves in an act of infinite love. Since it is a divine love, it must be a living love. This love must have its own existence. This infinitely perfect, infinitely intense, living love, which flows eternally between Father and Son, is the Holy Spirit. As I've already said, because there is one God, there is only one divine nature. Therefore, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always together. Always. They are never separate from one another. And yet, in trying to understand the actions of God based on this revelation, his revelation, we attribute to the distinct persons particular actions. Therefore, if one were asked how we describe the distinctions of God in God as to God's actions, and in the past I used to give this question to the, those who were preparing for confirmation, we, we can say that the Father creates, the Son saves, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies or makes holy. We can say this based on the deposit of faith, the teachings of the apostles which come from Christ himself. So, dear brothers and sisters, this reflection shows us that even though we cannot know God in himself fully, there is much we can confidently say about him. Christ sent out the apostles to all the nations in order to spread the gospel and, as we heard, to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To baptize those who believe in the gospel and agree to observe all that Christ commanded. Baptism is the gateway to life with God in Christ. And what is this life with God? It is a life of personal intimacy. Personal intimacy. St. Paul expressed discipleship so beautifully in his letter to the Romans. You received a spirit of adoption through whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Through baptism, we enter into a filial relationship with God. Christ imparts the Holy Spirit to us. The Spirit, divine love, lives in us and works through us so that more and more we come to know ever more deeply the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We begin to live with the reality. We begin to live the reality of divine communion. This is a stupendous wonder. We can rightly make Moses' words in the first reading our own and ask ourselves, did anything so great ever happen before? Was it ever heard of? When he spoke those words, Moses was describing the ways in which the one true God had drawn close to and become friends with the chosen people. God had made himself known through natural phenomena in extraordinary ways, had given strength to Israel to overcome more capable enemies. And most specifically, God had given Israel the law which would be the tangible sign of his presence with them. With the coming of his son, God did something greater, much greater. He made it possible for us to be joined with his son in his very own family. You have but one father in heaven. God is our true father. And he calls us who are his children into a communion of love and happiness with him. So my friends, what is our response? How do we return the father's love? The first responsibility of a child of God, the first responsibility of a child of God is to worship him. To worship the father. And this is precisely what the son did. Christ's greatest act of worship was his death on the cross. Our greatest act of worship is to unite ourselves with the Son in this one saving act which is celebrated at Holy Mass. In this way, along with prayer and spiritual reading, including above all reading and meditating on sacred scripture, we have a personal relationship with the Lord. We also love God by giving him glory. And we give glory to God by making him known. Above all, by the way we live. Like the apostles, we too have been sent to proclaim the gospel. We have the mission of making God known to others. We should want everyone to share our happiness, the peace that is ours through communion with God. May God give us the grace to fulfill this special task. So dear friends, let us entrust these reflections to the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of Grace. She who experienced in an ineffable way the special love of the Most Holy Trinity. May she intercede for us and obtain for us all, to obtain for us all many graces to open our minds and hearts in welcome to God, the Most Holy Trinity.